Welcome to Add Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas. This is the Share Our Strength podcast about people who are changing the world. I'm your host, Billy Shore. It's amazing when you realize how central food is to so many things that we care about. It affects our health. We see kids with nutritionally related problems, many of them overweight, even though they're undernourished. It affects our ability to learn. She had to make sure she had lunch in the classroom because at the end of the day, that was going to be all she got. Food security affects our strength as a nation. Within arm's reach are people who are hungry, and there is a anxiety and a stigma attached to that. We're thrilled to have two guests here today. Bill Telepan, legendary restaurateur here, who's had an iconic restaurant that just closed called Telepan, and is also the executive chef at an organization called uh, Wellness in the Schools. Yep. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, welcome, Thank Bill. you. Glad Thanks you're for here. having me here. It's good to be here. Eric Goldstein, um, you've got a Herculean job. I can't think of anybody who has a bigger job when it comes to food. You're chief executive of the Office of School Support at the Department of Education for New York City Schools. Um, I, I thought you were serving 860,000 meals a day, but you told me a few minutes ago that it's close to a million now. Yeah, we're taking a million. Incredible, incredible. What I'd like to do is start uh, a little bit before we get into wellness in schools and what's going on in the school system. I would just like folks to understand um, where you started and where you came from. Um, Bill Telepan, you've uh, really had an amazing set of experiences in terms of how you kind of came up through the restaurant industry, who you worked with, who you learned from. It's really quite inspiring. And then you built a restaurant that so many people admired for so long. So tell us where it started and how food became an interest of yours. Well, I guess when I was cooking as a child, or a kid, I should say, I wasn't one of those kids who cooked at their grandmother's knees. I was always outside playing and going, when's dinner ready, you know? And uh, I took an and interest- gr- grew up where? In uh, Sayreville, New Jersey. Okay. Um, and so I, I uh, started cooking uh, in high school just for money to buy a car. And uh, a guy, one of the guys who worked at one of the restaurants I worked at went to the CIA. And when I was graduating high school- The Culinary yeah. Institute of America, Sorry. not the other CIA. <laughs> those, those of us in Washington only think one thing when you say CIA. Went to but, the CIA, yeah. had a little, little spy, uh, but learned how to cook in the Afghan. Anyway, um, so went to Culinary Institute of America. They you know, pushed me towards it, not pushed me, but they said, hey, you, you're good at cooking. You should try this out. And so I did. And it was, wasn't really, never had any plans to come to New York and open my own restaurant. It was sort of the, this thing where- just sort of uh, met some right, the right people at the school who guided me to New York, who you know, I worked with, like you said, some great chefs. I worked with Alfred Portelli, Gotham Bar and Grill, Daniel Ballou, uh, Eberhard Mueller, and Gilbert Lacoze at La Bernardin. And, um, and then went and then just sort of uh, went through the program and, and uh, worked at Alan Chappelle in Viennet, France. And that was a little bit of a turning point for me because it was, he was a very local seasonal chef. Um, and so I saw the ingredients he brought into the restaurant and realized sort of after a couple months, like, you know, hey, this is this is a big part of it. And um, when I came back to the States, that's when I was like, you know, ingredients, and I wanted to really focus on local. So when I was working at Gotham Bar and Grill, Alfred had sort of worked at the Green Market down at Union Square. I mean, worked with the uh, Green Market down there. And I really made it a big deal as sous chef. And so got to know the farmers and got to learn about the environment through them and how important it was to grow uh, organically and learned all these things, saw wonderful produce and realized that the taste, you know, the, the flavor of this food was really important to cooking. And then I became a chef um, 
around 96 and uh and from that point was just really focused on on that kind of cooking and then had a kid and ran a big restaurant called Judson Grill in the uh you know early 2000s for several years and then opened Telepan in 05 um and when my daughter went to school I uh I met Nancy Easton who had started a program called Wellness in the Schools yeah. in your 05 da- Your daughter is in New York City public schools. Yeah, she's yep. in the public she's going through the public school system. She's in high school now, believe it or not. And, uh, and so um, it was at uh, my daughter's school. I met Nancy when they were handing out sandwiches and uh, these healthy sandwiches that they wanted to put onto the lunch menu. And I, was, uh, I tried some on my way to my daughter's parent-teacher conference. And when I came down, I said, how can I help? And so that's how I got involved, going to meetings, uh, learning what they were doing, and, um, and then realized as a chef I have the skill to cook. And so I was, was decided at that point, I, you know, let me see how I could go into the kitchens and help out. And let me ask you a little bit more about this gift that you have as a chef. I was talking to Bryce Schumann uh, recently about how he became a chef. And I had this conversation with lots of chefs. And I'd love to understand, what is that gift really about? Is it about uh, you have an enhanced uh, sense of smell or taste? You have a sense of ingredients that can be mixed together that other people haven't thought about? What makes you so good at what you do? I think it's all the senses work. I mean, there's, it's a very visual thing. You know, you see sauces boiling in a certain way. You know, you could say, oh, they're done. You could just smell this thing, how it's, it's going. You could f- touch something you could, and obviously taste something. And I think all the experiences you have and, you know, working with, uh, you know, seafood in with, um, you know, um, with the, at the La Bernadette, with the La Bernadette family and Danielle, who is very market driven and, and his classic sauces and, and with Alfred, the consistency, because it's very important to be very consistent in a restaurant. And, and he did it no better. He does it better than no one. You know, I mean, he's the best. And so uh, all those experiences and, and visuals and, and, you know, it takes time. You know, if you're going to whittle, uh, uh, make a chair out of some wood, you know, your first one's not going to be great. It's going <laughs> to take several chairs uh, to do, you know, to make it very well. So I think it's all that. It's a combination of things. So um, Now, Eric Goldstein, you didn't start out as a food guy um, and you didn't necessarily think of yourself initially as a food guy, although you're probably responsible for feeding more human beings than maybe anybody on the planet in terms of what what happens in the New York City school system? Tell us about your background. Yeah, sure. I'm, you know, a product of the New York City public school system. I grew up in Queens as an Attleboro kid, uh, going through you know the public schools from elementary to middle school to high school. Uh, then worked for Booz Allen Hamilton for a little bit, and then ended up moving to England and going to graduate school in England and being involved in things that were completely not related to food. But coming to this job, I mean, the job I have is essentially managing an operation that we are one of the largest caterers in the world. So I also, in addition to food, I, I call it buses, beans, and balls. We do transportation. We have about 8,000 school buses. We do school food, about a million meals, and we do all the high school a mi- athletics. A million meals a day. A million meals every school day. And you know, I have uh, folks who work in the organization who were trained uh, at CIA, Johnson Wales, other places who do things. But it requires uh, a certain business acumen and uh, bureaucracy deafness to be able to pull this off on a day-in, day-out basis, there was an opportunity to do better. There was an opportunity to do more. So Bill, Eric was talking about um, quantity and scale, also very interested in quality, but saying that you don't always have the resources that you want to have to do what what you want to do with food. Um, But Wellness in Schools has really focused on quality, on cooking, on nutritional value, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your role with the organization and particularly what kind of impacts you think they've been having on kids. And I, I would assume the 
both of you see kids as your customer, basically. Right. Well, you know, you know, like Eric said, for this last, I've been involved, I guess, now for eight years or so. But, and it's true. In the last seven, eight years, the progress that they have made has been amazing, and to see that and um, how they really thought about um, the quality of food, getting more nutritious food to the children. I mean, the menu now compared to what it was then is 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 it's amazing how what what a job they've done. And I think it's, you know, I don't know if it is and maybe it is, but I think, you know, we we in organizations like Wellness in the Schools has helped push them, or not push them, but, yeah, for sure. more, but maybe push them a little, but also help them in a way. Like, you know, we've had many discussions, Eric and I, and with Nancy Easton and, and our team um, about how, you know, we can help along. And that's kind of why we went in at first was how can we help? And it was never, when I got involved, it was like, all right, we wanted to see more scratch cooking but understood that you know for a dollar a day and what you know what they're getting a day is very difficult and, so and what what is the amount that you get per meal to what's it cost to feed a kid in new york city the average lunch what we spend on food is about a dollar 25 out of that dollar 25 about 23 yeah. cents is spent on milk <laughs> okay <laughs> and so knowing that <laughs> yeah yeah you know i went in there to see like what ingredients they had and what we can do to help with more scratch cooking and, and understood that like you know the that in a lot of schools it was it was hard they, they were limited in cooking equipment um and cooking spaces uh and how we can help with the with the staff and getting them to maybe get get better knife skills help them along that way and so we were able to uh, work out some menus and now we work together on an alternative menu that they have available for our program but one of the things we do is education and i think education is very important to this whole part of it is um so we go into the into the classrooms and do cooking classes with the kids they're k through eight and some of the kids have been through our cooking labs for two three four years so we have recipes in our labs that are like vegetarian chili, hummus. We do uh, sautéed carrots. We do rosemary roasted potatoes. We'll do salad dressings with them. And so with the uh, chili, they'll be cutting up the peppers and the onions, and then they'll be putting them into a container, and we'll finish, and we'll make the chili, and we'll have kids put all the ingredients into a pot and get it stirring. Uh, for the uh, salad dressings, we'll have two different ones. We'll do an emulsified one where they have the whisk, and then they pour in the the olive oil slowly and it emulsifies the, the uh, dressing and then there's the ones where we put everything into a quart container and then you just shake it up and so um a, a lot of it's we don't have them actually cooking so with the potatoes they'll cut the potatoes up they'll pick the rosemary we'll put that into a bowl we'll toss them with olive oil then we'll have the kids come up to the to the front and then they'll mix in the olive oil the salt They'll try it, hopefully, and most of them do because they take ownership when they cook it. And then we'll say, hey, it's on the menu there uh, the, on Thursday. So try it, you know, try it instead of the cheese sandwich or the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And we also do little nutritional bits about, during that time and, uh, and teach kids about nutrition. And we look to change the culture of the school. So get them to thinking, uh, thinking about eating better, thinking about health, thinking about nutrition, thinking about we also have a, a coach program so we get them active during recess. So, and that's how we, you know, we get involved in, into the, in the school. And Eric, how, how have you seen kids, the, the students themselves, react to this? Or do you have any sense of, uh, here's the difference that this makes when we, when we make these improvements, when we change this culture in a school? It's a big deal. I mean, you know, our experience has been from the child's perspective, it's more about the flavor profile and the taste than it is about the benefits that one can get from eating healthy foods. Generally speaking, our view is that that's more of an adult conversation, but certainly for the younger kids, they just want the food to taste good and they'll eat it. It's our job to make sure it's also good for them. 
most of our kids here in New York City are coming from the lower end of the socioeconomic scale. Some of the households are food insecure. They don't have enough food. A uh, lot of money problems overall. I was up at the school, a middle school in um, upper Manhattan, and there was a child who didn't know what a carrot was. He's never eaten a fresh carrot, right? Hadn't, hadn't seen one? Hadn't, hadn't seen one. one. I know it sounds incredible, but it's true. And our hope, I don't know what happened with that boy, but uh, my hope is that he went home to his mother or grandmother and nudged her and pushed her to buy some fresh carrots. And maybe that changed the trajectory of his diet and ultimately maybe his life. Um, I don't know. Time will tell. But having that exposure to fresh produce, if you're not exposed to something, there's no way you're going to like it and there's no way you're going to get used to it. So it's our job to make sure that they are constantly exposed to food that tastes good, but it's also good for them. Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and it's traditionally a time of gratitude and reflection and one in which many of us ask ourselves how we can be helping others in our community. At Share Strength, we've come up with a very simple but fun way for you to get involved. It's called Friendsgiving. To find out all the steps for success in hosting a Friendsgiving party, go to nokidhungry.org. And just imagine being at Thanksgiving dinner while kids in our country are thanking you. From your perspective, uh, for each of you, what role do parents play? What role should they play? Are they as engaged as you would want them to be? I assume there's a curve where there's probably some activists who are you know, kind of loud and vocal about this, and there's a lot of parents who are a little bit maybe more laissez-faire. Uh, what do you see in terms of parents? What are they bringing to this conversation? I think what's more important there is the age group of the child. So you'll tend to see parents who are more involved with younger children, elementary school children, uh, when we have menu conversations, those conversations are with the parents. Uh, generally speaking, the mothers, they're more involved with the elementary school kids, and they want to know what's going on. By the time the child is in high school, the parents are no longer, generally speaking, engaged in that conversation. You're talking directly to the student themselves, and they're thinking about uh, taste. They're also thinking, they're starting to think about health-related issues. So for us, those conversations are different depending on what age group we're talking to. No, it's true, because as a parent <laughs> in New York City, you know, in elementary school, you're there many, many times during the year. Middle school, it pared down, and I think I went to her high school this past year twice. <laughs> <laughs> what grade's your, what grade's your daughter in now? She's entering 10th grade uh, next year. So, But from what we see from a wellness in the school's perspective is, you know, we do, it depends, like, you know, in the high poverty areas, it's harder for parents to come to the school, because a lot of them whether they have two jobs or they're single parents, uh, it's hard to see them. We see less of them than we do in the um, low poverty areas where they're, like you said, they're activists who, like I remember one meeting, we had a wellness meeting with a, one of your workers, Eric, and, and this lady screamed, we don't want the chicken fingers anymore. And I'm like, lady, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to get anywhere like that. It's baby stuff. So, so it depends on, you know, we do these family fun fitness nights um, in a lot of the schools and, and in a lot of the high poverty areas where we bring uh, uh, families together to um, teach, you know, get them moving around. We do Zumba classes, a lot of fitness classes, and we get a healthy, give them a healthy meal. And we've started seeing more and more of that as we do them in schools, more participation from parents in, in these areas. So it's, it's, it's different, but you never, not, no high school, no. <laughs> middle school stuff. <laughs> and, and we think of the importance of parents influencing their kids, but you were saying, Eric, the kids could actually influence their parents too by asking for a carrot or by saying, here's what I learned at school today. Oh, that's going to be a big part in this. So, you know, school is about instruction. So instruction happens in the classroom, in the math class. It should also happen in the cafeteria. And, you know, we have a role and responsibility for that. 
Um, we wish that more of the educators were thinking about that. I mean, programs like WITS play a really instrumental w- role. WITS being wellness in the schools. Wellness in the schools, yeah, uh, in, in pushing that cultural shift along. But, you know, the, the cafeteria also needs to be thought of as the, the best and most important health class a child has every day because they don't have health every day. Uh, it's a really important educational form for the child to learn good, healthy eating habits and also how to eat well. By that, I mean socializing with other students. And that social aspect of eating uh, as the antithesis to, you know, eating in your car as you go through a drive through in, in another classic American experience. You know, how to be social in eating and enjoy the food while you're eating is another thing that can be learned in school, whether it's in the cafeteria or whether it's through breakfast in the classroom. That socio-emotional component of eating well uh, is another thing that schools have to play a very important role in. So breakfast in the classroom is represents a big shift from where most schools have been. And New York City has, uh, not overnight, but in a very short period of time, become a national leader in moving the elementary schools to breakfast from the cafeteria to breakfast in the classroom. Say a little bit about why why, why you chose to do that, um, what the impact's been. You know, breakfast in the classroom is critically important to uh, getting kids in New York City to eat and to eat well. Um, you know, we've seen in the past, we were serving roughly one out of four kids breakfast. And when you shift to breakfast in the classroom, you're serving three out of four kids breakfast. That is a huge, huge difference. So not only are the kids eating well, and that's especially important for children who come from poorer households where, you know, time and money are important. So to eat in the, in the classroom is not only relieves a burden for the family, but of course adds all this additional benefit to the kid because the, the child gets to, to eat a good, healthy meal in the classroom. But also, you know, classroom rules are very different from cafeteria rules. And the decorum that one has in the classroom and the cafeteria can be a bit different. So not only are they eating well, and not only are more kids eating, but they're learning how to eat well. So those things make breakfast in the classroom for us here in New York City incredibly, incredibly important. And that's why we have a big program uh, to roll it out. We've worked in the past with Share Our Strength, which has been really, really, again, instrumental for us in, in this program. And it's, it's going to change a lot of lives. It really is. Now, you to agree on a lot of things, but there must be just giving your different roles some things that you disagree on, uh, or maybe not, but I'm, I'm curious, what do you, what do you, I mean, you've been working together to kind of move things forward. What do you still disagree on? I, I don't. You like the uh, Mets or the Yankees? I'm like the Mets. I'm a Yankee guy. So Jets you or go. Giants? <laughs> no, I'm the Jets, yeah. <laughs> we agree on everything. No, I, I think we all both want the best for children in, in New York City and, and beyond. And, and hopefully what we do uh, in, in New York City uh, can be helpful across the nation. And I think, you know, we want kids to eat well, to learn well, to grow. I mean, these are our next innovators, our next thinkers, our next politicians. <laughs> and if we could get them to have food be a big part of their, their lives, which it should be. I mean, you have to eat three meals a day to survive. Um, food is social, food is, um, it's, it's a lot of things to people, it's cultural, and I think we both want kids in our schools to eat really well. There's no school district that can do this on their own. They need partners. They need the right partners and they need partners. If they think they can do this on their own, I would say they're deluding themselves. And more importantly, they're, they're cutting themselves off from a very important access to things that can really enhance the lives of their students. So, and so, I think, so, well, uh, for wellness in the schools, what's the gating factor for you? What, what is, is, is holding wellness in the schools back from being in every school? Is it um, money or Eric talent? Goldstein, or, no. Eric Goldstein. <laughs> <laughs> 
You've been pushing him for many years now. Um, I, I no, I think I, I think a lot. I think of a lot of it is are the people who run the schools. I think, and not in New York City. So you know, not not in New York City, but I think elsewhere. When we talk to people, we've talked to many people outside New York, and it's like, yeah, you know, kids just want chicken fingers and hamburgers. We just want them to eat and be quiet. But it's it's not about that. I think, like you know, we need to really feed kids food that's you're not going to eat mcdonald's every day and you have a you can choose not to eat mcdonald's every day and i think there's a there's a lot of poor kids out there who, who don't have we i mean we talked about it, don't have stable homes they're insecure food insecure and schools are you know you have this um what's the word i'm looking for you have this uh captive audience where you can you know that you want to nourish them and you want to feed them well and you want to educate them and get them so when they're at the littlest age you you when their palates are being formed you want them to not to to uh, crave the cheeseburger and the french fries you want them to think like oh i want it, i want those i want those carrots i want that cooked broccoli i want you know something really good for me because that can be influenced at an early age Very, right that, but yes, that, the development yes, of their palate yes. and their cravings and their appetite yes. you can actually shape that yes i mean my daughter i mean for the longest time because we have been able to give her like you know certain foods crave salads now i mean we'll have them for dinner sometimes but not every kid has that opportunity and and so that's what we we want to happen to give those to give every child an opportunity to eat well well, I'm thrilled to have both of you. Bill Telepan, executive chef at Wellness in the Schools and formerly at Telepan Restaurant, um, and Eric Goldstein, the chief executive of the Office of School Support for New York City's Department of Education, uh, two great leaders in this, in this city. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Billy. I hope you'll go to our website, shareourstrength.org slash passion, to discover how you can get involved to make a difference in your community. Add passion and stir. Big chefs, big ideas is the podcast from Share Our Strength. The Share Our Strength community believes that everyone can share in the global fight against hunger and poverty, and that in these shared strengths lie sustainable solutions. Today, Share Our Strength focuses these strengths on making no kid hungry a reality in America. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Kerry Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. Thanks so much for listening to Add Passion and Stir. I'm your host, Billy Shore.